dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long teams with a bunch of demons. We believe that human beings are demons. No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. <laughs> Really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God's by faith in his son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17. That's the victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign risen king, who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing. And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples, but we take what he's created and we turn him into idols. I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM. Yeah. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to episode 4 of The Master's Dog. I am your host, The Evangelical Norm. So, today I got into it on Twitter with some people, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. This is not going to be a very long episode. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at some of these tweets that went back and forth. Um, and just the, I want to say it's just a willful, willful ignorance of what Christianity is on the part of our usually more aggressive atheist neighbors. So, of course, today, first thing was a tweet came up from, and that's not the one I want. Okay, there we go. Uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, our friends, uh, Annie Gaylor Barker, I think is her, or, yeah, Annie Gaylor, I think it's Gaylor, Annie Barker and her husband Dan Barker, um, Dan was a former pastor, now turned atheist, very angry, um, I think he was the first guy I ever used the hashtag atheist tantrum with, and um, that 
basically once he he blocked me on on Twitter, and so that became the uh, the the usual hashtag for Mikey Weinstein, and uh, so yeah, um, so yeah, Dan Barker blocked me a long time ago. Um, surprised that Freedom From Religion Foundation hadn't blocked me until today. Um, and we'll see that here in a second. So, they retweeted and commented on, obviously, something from Desiring God, John Piper. Five bad reasons to go to church this Sunday. One, to be comfortable. Two, to hear wobbly opinions. Three, to be entertained. Four, to be shielded from reality. And five, to hear mainly about ourselves. Those are bad reasons to go to church this Sunday. And so, Freedom From Religion Foundation figured they would add their uh, five re- bad reasons to go to church this Sunday as well, which were, you're forced by others to attend, which I don't know anybody who is, um, except for the kids that have to go with their parents. Um, you want an echo chamber? Not anybody in my church. Uh, others will judge or shame you if you don't. No, not happening. If you th- you think you'll burn in hell if you miss church, no one I know thinks that. A lot of them miss days here and there for different reasons. You believe it automatically makes you a good person. Again, not an understanding of what Christianity really is. So with this, I uh, tweeted back. I retweeted them and tweeted back to them. I said, wow, look. Something that we agree on. You've got we now we have ten bad reasons not to go to church this Sunday, and here's one good reason to go to church this Sunday. Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for sin. To, for those who will repent and trust in Him, He is worthy to be praised. So, with everybody giving bad reasons to go to church, let me give you a good reason to go to church this Sunday. After which, they blocked me. <laughs> Um, so Dan Barker blocked me a long time ago when I, I got into it back and forth with him. I called him, I, I, I essentially, I think I hashtagged him. Don't quote me, bro. Uh, based on what is in the beginning of the, let me tell you, um, podcast video intro. There's a, a clip of the debate between Dan Barker and James White where uh, Dr. White started to read from uh, one of Dan Barker's books, and he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, you, can't, you can't read from my book. And he's like, well, why not? And he's like, well, I might have changed my mind. He's like, well, uh, is this book for sale out there? Well, yes, it is. Well, it's your book you wrote on this subject that we're talking about. You know, get over yourself. And, um, yeah, so... The hashtag, don't quote me, bro, uh, came out for, for Dan Barker. And after which, you know, of course, he's like, well, I didn't say that. And I'm like, well, not in those words, but essentially that was your point. No, not really. And then he blocked me. So now I'm completely blocked from uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation. Uh, everybody there, everyone involved has blocked me because obviously me and my 688 followers on Twitter and my 65 subscribers on YouTube um, and 12 subscribers in uh, Pinecast 
you know, I mean, I think I've got a grand total uh, sphere of influence of little over 750 people. And that's enough for Freedom from, Re- Freedom from Religion Foundation to fear me. So, but that's not necessarily what I wanted to talk about. That is a point in this is the fact that they have a, a serious misunderstanding of what Christianity is, why people go to church, because none of those reasons that they gave, unless you're a child, applies to anybody who is truly saved, regenerate, uh, born-again Christian. That's not a reason for any that anybody I know that goes to church, except for the children, yes, they're forced to go because we're not leaving them home alone. It's just smart. So, um, Alan Van Voorhees decides to, to jump into the fray. And he tells me, Norm, the evangelicals are the dying water buffalo of ideas, thrashing in the mud, taking its last gasp. Just get on with it and leave the rest of us in peace. Which I took to believe him saying, just die. <laughs> and and so, of course, my thing was never going to happen. Which it's not. I don't care how smart, how how much knowledge you think you have. Smarter men than you, whoever you are, Dan Barker, uh, Alan Van Voorhees, uh, Richard Dawkins, men have been trying to take down Christianity for well o- for oh, two thousand some years, somewhere around a little over two thousand years. They've been trying to to wipe out Christianity. Voltaire said that within a hundred years of his time, that there there wouldn't be a Bible. You couldn't wouldn't be able to find a Bible except in in a museum. Which the um, ironic thing was when he, after he died, some a couple hundred years after he died, the uh, there's a I want to say European Bible Society, somebody, some Bible Society bought his house and actually uses that house now as a place to ship out Bibles from. That that that's when those tweets didn't age well. So this again. So, never going to happen. And then, of course, he says that's the very problem. By the, way, by the way, have you ever, as an adult, critically examined your beliefs? You have to understand that faith is a really bad method to understand the universe. So, here's another one of those things that atheists do. They're, they're automatically assuming that we've never really looked into our beliefs. That we are just blind followers of what our parents taught us and, and so on and so forth. Or what we heard from our pastor. And we don't, we don't think for ourselves. But when you really stop and think about it, look at them. How many of them really critically examine the the things that they believe or are they just blindly following the teachings of their college professors i mean we all learn from somewhere i mean we all want to consider ourselves free thinkers but we all have taken information that someone else has given to us and we have incorporated in into what we believe so the the just the assumption assumption that everyone is blind followers of whatever is ridiculous because ultimately we're all pretty much blind followers of somebody or 
somewhat well-informed followers, but we choose our worldview and we follow after that. And we tend to, I mean, granted, a lot of people don't vary from one to another, but it doesn't mean that none of us have examined where we stand. This is an arrogant comment because his assumption is if you really examine, you're going to fall where I sit. Well, what makes you right? Have you critically examined your beliefs? Because in where I stand, if you truly critically examine your beliefs as an atheist, you're going to come up with the fact that they're ridiculous. Time and chance did not create this. The universe is far too fine-tuned to have come about from chaos. It just doesn't work. That's science fiction is literally what it is. So my response, of course, yes, I have. We all understand the universe by faith. The difference is the object in which the object which we put our faith in which we put our faith. You have faith in the ever changing speculation of evolutionary scientists. I put my faith in the unchanging word of God. And that's true. I mean, in just in my lifetime, our earth has aged a couple of billion years because they're always changing because here's the problem they never have enough time to make evolution work they have to continue to add time and add time and add time and you can mark my words mark the tape 13 minutes 27 seconds into episode 4 of the master's dog norm predicted within the next 10 years this earth according to science is going to be at least 5 billion years older because they're going to have to add time. So if today we are 3.4 billion years, and within 10 years, this Earth, supposedly, according to them, is going to be well over 8 billion, possibly 10 billion years old. That's my prediction. Mark the tape. He responds again, Norm, the single advantage I have over you is that with new evidence or clar- with clarification, I can change my view. I get to exercise my brain. I get to figure new things out and learn. The universe is daunting and awe-inspiring. Again, the arrogant attitude of, well, I can't change my view when I learn new things. I mean, I've learned new things, and that, again, my response, as is the God who created it is daunting and awe-inspiring. He is the only thing that is worthy of awe. And I am always learning new things about him. I've been learning new things about God for years. And and some of my secondary issue uh, opinions have changed over those years. As my theology has become reformed, as I came out of Mormonism and recognized that was a false religion, I came out of Islam recognizing that was a false religion, um, Coming out of hyper-Pentecostal vineyard movement, recognizing that that was not the the greatest place for me to be. And as my theology became reformed, as I became more and more educated on what the Bible teaches and what it shows, my position changed. Did my core position on who Christ is change from when I was saved to now? No. Christ is still the, the, the second person of the Trinity. God the Son, uh, God incarnate, fully God, fully man, went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, bought me and drew me to him, and I had nothing to do with my own salvation. Those things didn't change. 
did my secondary issues change? Sure. And believe me. So I'm always learning new things about him. Believe me, I exercise my brain. But thanks for the arrogant assumption that I don't. Again, this the whole thing with with them is uh, that as Christians, we're we're uneducated, we're ignorant, we're backwoodsy. You know, pick a pick a redneck. Uh, Adjective, and that's what they apply to us because obviously we don't know. We're nowhere near as smart as them. They are, and then of course I, I quote Romans: "Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! It's amazing." God, and but here, here again, we come back down to the point of the ignorance of what Christianity is, and a couple other guys. I didn't get all the the screen captures and so on from all of these people, but um, a couple other guys who were making points of how poisonous religion is and how bad it is and and obviously the comments that they were making showed their ignorance of what Christianity truly is these are people who who look at Christianity as nothing but antiquated fairy tales or whatever or rules and ultimately that's what it comes down to is the rules of Christianity that they have a, a seem to have an issue with is that Christianity says you can't do these things anymore? Um, yeah, we see things where where Paul tells us in Ephesians four, do not walk like the Gentiles, and he shows us some issues about the Gentiles. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus said you are salt and light, and not an option of whether or not we can be salt and light. It says you are. We are changed when we are saved. And we no longer desire to do these things. And obviously, they still have the desire to do these things. And that's all they see is a mandate to say you can't do the things, the sins that bring you pleasure for the season that you're in now. That's all they see. They don't recognize it. I don't think they understand the need for a savior is truly what it is. They don't understand that they, and I think part of that comes from the fault of the church of portraying this, uh, this Jesus who just loves everybody and doesn't, doesn't care. You know, there are these parts of the church that, that just don't seem to, to emphasize the, the need to repent for sin. They don't want to offend anybody, so they don't want to talk about sin. They just want to talk about love. And then these people go, well, if God just loves me, then he wants me to do whatever it does, whatever I want to do to make me feel good. They don't understand the weight and the of their sin and their need for a Savior. They don't understand the fact that hell makes sense for those who break God's laws. You know, I, one of my favorite analogies for this, and I took this from Todd Frill, so credit where credit is due. He probably took it from someone else, but I don't know. He's the one I took it from, so I'm going to give him credit and let him give credit to whoever he needs to give credit to. And so, but you take a situation, you take a scenario. I have a two year old daughter that is above me that, if you notice me looking a little funny at the beginning of this video, she was starting to cry, but she's gone back to sleep. So, but she's right above me. If I lie to my two-year-old little girl, what happens to me? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, parents are lying to their kids all the time. The whole Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, all that stuff. Ultimately, those are lies. You can call it make-believe. It's a lie. Um, and so, and there's no consequence for a parent who lies to their child. 
maybe the kid is a little upset at some point in time, but there's really no consequence. Now, if I lie to my wife, who is asleep in the other room, I'm likely going to have to go sleep upstairs on the couch. If I lie to my boss, likely going to get fired. If I lie to the government, depending on the weight of the lie and the, the context in which it is, I can go to prison or get the death penalty for treason, depending. So now here we have the same scenario. We have the same offense in all these different scenarios. What changed in each scenario to cause the, the punishment to be worse? It's the authority against who we have offended. It's the authority of that person. Now you take that and you apply that to the God who created the universe, the ultimate lawgiver who has given, who is, who created everything, who is the ultimate authority. Now it makes sense for what we consider a little sin, a lie or whatever, to carry the weight of an eternal punishment. It makes sense. When you look at the authority against who we sin, and David in, in, the, in the Psalms says, against you and only you have I sinned. Psalm 51, I believe. We sin against God. We sin against the ultimate lawgiver, the ultimate authority. Eternal punishment makes sense. And yet, Jesus came to bear the weight of our sin, to carry it to the cross, Pay that penalty so that we can be reconciled to the Father and then lived a perfect life to where he had all righteousness in order to give to us. So not only are we saved by his, his obedience to the law, but we are given his righteous from his active obedience of doing all things righteous. You know, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he said, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is a righteous deed that needs to be done, and I need to do it for those who cannot do it. And so all righteousness is fulfilled so I can give them my righteousness when I die upon the cross and raise from the dead, making him the one who is worthy to be praised. And the reason why we go to church on Sunday, nobody's forcing us. We go to church because we have a Savior who paid the penalty for our sin and who is worthy to be worshipped and is worthy to be praised and we want to be there. We want to go and worship God because we've been changed. If they would look and, and, and hear, and I hope they'll hear, I hope they'll, they'll hear this and, and see this and let the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does, or let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, and that is convict them of their sin, regenerate them of their heart, give them the gift of repentance, and draw them to Christ. That is my desire for these atheist men who we got into our little, our little Twitter tiff today. Um, Actually, one of the more respectful conversations I've been in. I, I think I did take a couple of swipes at him, but they took a couple of swipes first. Maybe not. Maybe I was a Han Solo and I shot first. Um, but that's my desire, is that these men would, would hear the gospel. 
not just looking at the Bible for the, the gotcha verses, which we all know they go after. You, you hear, you get into enough conversations with atheists, you know the ones that have actually read the book and the ones who haven't. The majority, the overwhelming majority, have not. All they've done is they've gone to the, the verses that Richard Dawkins quotes or Dan Barker or any of these, uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, Sam Harris. They go to those places, those verses that those guys quote for the gotcha verses, and they don't read the rest. They don't put it into context. And granted, I haven't read the entirety of The Origin of Species either. But I'd be willing to. (laughs) You know, again, my desire is for them to know the gospel and know why we do and we believe what we believe. And to stop automatically assuming, I don't assume that atheists are, and I, and I do believe that the worldview is ignorant. I believe the worldview is ridiculous and dumb. But I don't assume that they are. I understand that some smart men and women can be sucked in and deceived by some, some sneaky stuff. I live in the state of Utah hundreds of thousands, millions of Mormons who are deceived by a false religion and they're smart. I mean, I'm pretty sure my doctor, my dentist, all these guys are are LDS. They're smart guys, but they're deceived. Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Dan Barker, smart guys. They're all deceived. I don't assume that they're stupid. I don't assume that they don't, that they're not willing to learn or that they can't or whatever. I just understand that they're deceived. They, they have looked at something and they have, have misunderstood the evidence, the data and the evidence that is provided and has been misinterpreted into something that is not true. That's where I stand, and that's what I believe. And that is my desire for them to to learn and to know. And I preach the gospel for that reason. And then I I would also encourage you, as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.